What's up, guys? We are back once again. Your girl, Candice Cooper, ready to rock and roll on Out of My League Podcast. Of course, I couldn't do this without my guy, the one and only, Brendan Witted. What is up, B? Not much, man. Just trying to stay safe out here. There's <laughs> so much. There's a lot of stuff going on. I love, like, honestly, this is one of the best parts of my week, just being able to talk about sports. Uh, even with the, the Tim's ball, everything else is going on. It's nice to be able to talk about stuff, especially now that we're getting a little bit closer to what could be opening day for some of these for some of these leagues. Yeah. Could be opening day, could be resume of season, could be a good start and then nothing at all. We're really going to <laughs> play the whole game of will we play, won't we play? And I think that's gonna be very dicey, but we're going to jump right into the season, our different respective sports resuming their seasons. We got the NBA, which is one of our favorite major league sports, trying to come back July 31st, which is not that far away. We got about a month and a half out before they try and get things going. They're going to be playing in Orlando. It's going to be a, somewhat of an isolation. They are going to have family available, but of course, with all the testing going on, I'm sure some families are weary with whether or not they're going to jump right in to go watch their uh, husband, boyfriend, brother, son, play just for safety reasons. And they're going to resume. It's not going to be a full season. So there are some teams that are completely done for 2020. But now that we know it is a thing, are we excited? Can we gear up and get ready to go? Well, sure. Like, All right, so I'll try to – because it took me a, a while when they, they first the NBA first came out with this proposal um, – I guess it's been about four or five days ago. Um, and so it took me a while to really understand what's going on because this is definitely something different. Obviously, we're dealing with a pandemic, obviously a, a shorter regular season. Most teams got about 65 games of the of the usual 82. So they, they knew that they had to do something. And so what, what they – it looks like they've come to a consensus on. You mentioned the July 31st start date. So it's going to be 22 teams are going to be going to Disney World, which, yes. by the way, if this all being <laughs> Disney World is still really funny to me. Um, <laughs> um, but the, each team is going to get eight regular season games. They'll be they were known as their the seeding games in the uh, in the press release. So 16 current playoff teams yes. plus the Pelicans, Blazers, Suns, Kings, Spurs, and Wizards. So ultimately, nine Eastern Conference teams and 13 Western Conference teams. So this is where it gets a lot more fun and very confusing. So eight <laughs> seed is up mm-hmm. by four more games at the end of the the regular season that they already had and the eight seeding games. Then they go. Then they've earned a playoff spot and just, it goes directly to what the normal format of playoff is: okay. eight in Eastern Conference, eight in Western Conference. Mm-hmm. However. If they are, if that eight seed is not by up by four or by up by more than four games, excuse me, they get a play in turn a small play in tournament between the eighth and ninth seed. So if the eight seed wins one game, then they're into the playoffs. The ninth seed must win two games. So it's essentially two out of three if you're the ninth seed team, or or just one in uh, a one win scenario if you're the eight seed team. Okay. So if we're, that made any sense. Yeah, <laughs> a little wanted, bit, a little bit. I just want to kind of set up, set the, you know, set the table for how how different this is going to be this year because they wanted to incorporate the teams that had a, a reasonable opportunity to still catch and become part of the regular 16 teams. Right. So they took it pretty much all the teams that were, I think it was like six games or or 
or less yeah in terms of how close they were to the eighth seed they took every single team and that ended up being the the kind of uh the the 22 that they took okay so first up we got to discuss how it's not like even even with east and west we're actually taking legitimate right. teams we're gonna have a legitimate chance which we're all having these conversations about the future of the NBA playoffs, right? We're all trying to say, maybe we shouldn't just focus on East and West, maybe transition to actually who are the legitimate contenders to have a shot from buy for a title, which I think in this case, maybe that's what they're testing out, which is good. You know, we all wanted to see Zion in the playoffs. We wanted to see the Memphis Grizzlies and Java Rant go at it. So I'm, I'm okay with this. However, I wanna see the turnaround time with which you're giving the champion ultimately and even the runner up for starting season 2020 to 2021. That's my Yeah, and that's a, that's a whole another concern, right? Like cuz um there the conversation is at least that the next season will start in December. Now, there's been some talk about whether that's going to be the beginning of December, December 31st or or Christmas has really been what they talked about cuz NBA has kind of quasi dubbed that as their their holiday kind of in the same way that the nfl has thanksgiving the nba has taken over christmas but yeah. an interesting wrinkle particularly for fans of the hornets like us uh like james borrego came out and said hey we need to be because their their season's done the Hornets season's done uh, that and the the other eight teams the other seven teams that aren't going to be invited along with the hornets their season is done that's definitely done Right. But uh, Coach Borrego came out and said, hey, man, we have to have an uh, opportunity to do some sort of practicing or something like that. Because keep in mind, that means that there will be could be an eight, nine month layoff right. between their last game, which was, you know, somewhere in the middle of the 2019-2020 uh, season and what would be the 2020-2021 season. Mm-hmm. And that that's a whole nother issue, right? Like trying to come up with a way that they can practice and have these things. All this stuff is collectively bargaining what you can do in the off season. So because all this language has changed in terms of what the off season will be, right? Now you, you now the teams are trying to trying to respond as well. Like everybody, this is all. It feels very made up, <laughs> right? Because it is. Because it, like ultimately, <laughs> it is. Ultimately, all of this is super made up. Ultimately, yeah, we've never, ultimately, we've never been here before, which is totally fine. But he does bring up a great point because those are the type of teams that don't need eight to nine months. They need to get back in the rhythm. They need to be, you know, they're already behind. They don't need, it's hard to be motivated in the off season already. But you want to add on feeling like you're less than because you didn't get opportunity to play this shortened season. And now you're trying to roll over and get gear up for December. Okay, you already have Malik Monk with his issues, right? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, and apparently he's off his drug suspension now. Like, I wasn't sure how that was going to go because he had he had a five-game drug suspension yeah. that he hadn't finished serving when the season stopped. Right. So it was like, well, is this going to carry over? So the, the, the NBA came out a little while ago saying, hey, um, they're, they're going to – they're counting it as having him having served it, which is kind of funny because everybody's sitting at home and, like, you know, <laughs> it's not a lot to do. Uh, and, so, and if that's what you enjoy to do in your leisure, right, if that's what you enjoy to do during your leisure time, then you're kind of not going to just start doing tiddlywinks, right? Like, it, just, it doesn't just switch over like that. And they've also said that they're not – so while they're going to PED test uh, for performance-enhancing drugs – they're not going to be 
uh, testing for recreational drugs when the season picks back up, which is probably in everyone's best interest. <laughs> I also find that we have to, because we're talking about our Carolina sports, pay homage to the legend himself, Vince Carter, who officially, mm-hmm. because the Falcons, or not, why did I say the Falcons? I'm thinking of Atlanta, but I meant the Hawks. Because the Hawks, I got my, my, my birds mixed up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Life lesson, kids. Don't don't confuse the birds, okay? Ooh, do not get your birds confused. <laughs> they do not like that. Oh, the Hawks are officially done for the season, therefore Vince Carter is done, and what a way to end your career. I can't even imagine having to give that speech where he was like, well, this if this is my last game, getting emotional and just not being able to go out kind of on this white horse that a lot of people love for, you know, champions and legends to go out on. It's crazy to think that it was essentially taken away from him. Like, he's the kind of guy with the character that, of course, this is going to be his testimony. Something great is going to come of it. I think he's going to be an amazing coach one day. But it just sucks that someone like that who's given so much to the game can no longer have that kind of last hoorah. It definitely does. Uh, and and I'll, I'll be honest, this was my favorite player in the league for a really, really long time. Yeah. Obviously because of the North Carolina Rules, but just because of how he played. I mean, it was so much fun watching him play. He, I still, one of the biggest what ifs is what if, uh, Toronto was able to keep him and Tracy McGrady mm-hmm. for 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 their for the majority of their respective careers. I think that, that changes a lot about how we see Vince Carter. Uh, but like, shout out to him for putting in twenty years worth of work in the NBA. Because I don't know if you remember, but I remember those first few years. He was he had not first few years, but probably like fourth or fifth year in the league. He had a slate of injuries. Yeah. And so the the question about whether or not he was durable enough, or whether or not he was soft, kind of were prevalent questions all throughout his career until he became that sort of elder statesman, became uh, one of the better three-point shooting guys. In the league. He, he really had a, an entire career arc. So shout out to him, man. That it's uh, Nobody put up a better all-star game slam dunk competition right. than, than Carter. And that's, he's going to be remembered as the greatest dunker ever. And damn it, that ain't a, a nice superlative to walk out on. A hundred percent. And I think he started to have that story of the typical Carolina guy who, you know, gets into the league and, you know, all the politics of it. Like they're a great player in college, but can it translate? And they come out kind of high, but then injuries kind of take over. And that whole just spiral of, of course, you know, he ends up not panning out. But he really, to me, debunked that and was able to be a journeyman and a lot of times they're life lessons for kids like if you're a great vet because you know how to be a great teammate you can withstand a lot of the bs that is that comes with the league absolutely and and his time i mean with pretty much to a man everybody in that atlanta hawks organization talked about how great of a teammate he was and how important he was and and this is another guy like at the end of his career that didn't chase rings, right? Where he, yeah. there's a, I'm sure he could have found his way onto the end of the Warriors bench or, or into some of these other contenders benches, but decided not to because he still really enjoyed playing basketball. And he was still been it because he was on these younger teams. He was not only able to dole out this wisdom, but he was, you know, still getting, you know, five, 10 minutes worth of run. Um, I thought that was an interesting way for him to go out because it showed how much he just loved playing the game. That he was less concerned with posterity and legend, and you know what his legend was going to be, and more with, "Hey man, I just I still love ball." So, and that came through with the way he interacted with his teammates. Absolutely, and I hope he retires as a Raptor only because of the nostalgia that is. But we'll see. We'll see. He can it's go interesting anywhere. for yeah. that, right? Because the, the way he left, he kind of forced his way out of Toronto. Yeah, and there was a lot of anti Vince Carter. 
kind of feelings. Now that 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 dissipated as as you know as these things do with time. And I think I think the last time he was in Toronto, they gave him kind of like a, a really nice send off and everything like that. But it will be interesting. I mean, because probably his most prolific years were with with Toronto and keep in mind for that 2000 2001 year with with the 76ers actually end up going to the finals probably one of the worst <laughs> NBA teams I've ever seen in the finals probably them in that 07 Celtic uh Cavs team but like he's one shot away from from completely changing like they go to game seven and he misses the game winner and that was the same day he went to uh graduation that was a whole big thing about him going to his carolina graduation right before the game hopping on a plane coming back has the opportunity to sink the game winner and and really kind of change a little bit of the narrative around him about being a good dunker a a great dunker good score not a winner that one shot that's that's one of the first things i always think about with carter is if that goes in what do we say about him then no doubt let's get we need to get vince carter his roses but of course with everything going on it's so hard to like keep up with every day between sports and real world and news is just so heavy all the time, which seems. And that's a great time to transition into the NFL and what seems to be who said what, when, and why. Like every other day, I think somebody <laughs> is just jumping out the frame and like, let me just go ahead and throw everything to the wind and see really what sticks. Drew Brees, of course, we didn't talk about last week came out, talked about the flag and how we should honor it, and he'll never understand someone disrespecting it. And, of course, everyone just went ham at him, received all that backlash. And then, of course, Donald Trump tried to give his two cents and rally around Drew, which then forced Drew to say, listen, that's not even close to what it's about, what I meant. And he was just playing big old backtrack. And for me... I think it was finally the, hopefully the sports reality of we've got to stop with this whole white savior narrative where just because they're cool with you and they're dope with teammates with you doesn't mean they don't have firm beliefs that stand heavily against what you stand for. Yeah, and I, I think that Drew Brees is kind of kind of the tip of the iceberg, and we've seen it, I mean, <clears throat> even today with NASCAR banning yeah. the Confederate flag at their events um it's it's been interesting the the sort of dichotomy that that that's gone on at least within myself where it's i'm happy that you're making these strides but also how am i supposed to give you credit for just not being terrible yeah right right? (laughs) you know i mean like i like okay I'm, i'm glad that you did this but i mean it's also 2020 and you know like this is i'm trying to i'm i'm I, I need the bar to be raised a little bit more because there's this kind of been this this eureka moment for a lot of people, and not, and not just NASCAR, not just Drew Brees, or not just it's it's, it's organizations like we'll be better, we're going to do better. Uh, Boston Red Sox came out with the statement. I thought it was a really powerful statement with, "Hey, this is you know the racial slurs," and and they referenced specifically Tory Hunter, mm-hmm. but the the racial slurs that have been directed at players or at employees like on the one hand yes i am happy that you're addressing these but on the other hand folks been talking about this for a while yeah like you, you literally you know I mean? yes like, how yes. am i as a black fan like I don't, I don't i don't know i'm not a huge baseball fan so you know this doesn't affect me as much but like how am i as a black fan of your team supposed to be like rah rah when at the at the same time like folks we've been we've been saying this for a minute and just now 
you're now you want to recognize it now that the national media spotlight is on like if the national media spotlight whenever it leaves because it will at some point are y'all still gonna go back to those tried true methods that y'all been about the uh, don't i don't see i don't hear i didn't say anything right and it's more than just the black athletes you know com- coming out and saying I've been called racial slurs like hell. You have black employees, a lot of your ushers, a lot of your ticket takers. Right. A lot of those people have had to experience that from these drunk white fans. And they take it to the chin because they know they need this part time job because they know it helps their family tremendously. And they probably do love baseball or the sport or the environment, but it's those one offs that aren't really just one offs, you know, that really ruin the experience. But like you said, you do not get a cookie nor a small parade for doing damn it what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> like, I right. just, I can't bring myself to be like hand claps of praise for people who are like, yes, we are finally coming out and standing on two feet, especially with like the Bubba Wallace thing. Like, I was proud of him, but I don't know if you've ever seen, this is me helping my white friends who say that they don't have the right resources. There's this movie on Netflix called Uppity. It's about the Willie T. Ribs. Riggs, I think it's Riggs or Ribs. Let me let me make sure I get the name right. Willie T. Ribs. It's a story about his life and how he experienced racism. And it's important that people understand. Of course, you know that's been going on for a while, but just how bad it really was, right? I think people don't understand, maybe to the degree, the levels. Maybe they do and don't care. Like, I can't, I can't understand. I don't know yet. Like, obviously, we knew it existed because we know we've lived it. But for some people, I'm just like, you truly just don't get it. Like, some, to not even be able to be in a room and feel comfortable. Like, that's just a different kind of anxiety, right? It's a different kind of air to not feel welcome just for what you look like. I mean, it doesn't matter what you stand on. It doesn't matter if we have the same even agreeing on the same beliefs. It's because I look right. like I look. <laughs> you, therefore, have already made assumptions about me and will treat me as such. And that's just so disappointing. And to me, the Confederate flag... Again, cookie or a small parade, because you know what it is. Now, all of a sudden, like, what made this moment make you decide, yes, this is awful? Do you, are you saving face? Is it performative? Or do you right. genuinely feel bad and you genuinely recognize that this is something in derogatory towards an entire race? And, like, with, with the Boston Red Sox thing specifically, you, you mentioned, hey, with white people, you know, we've been telling you this for a while, like, he, Carl Crawford said, echoed Tory Hunter's statements a while ago. Tory Hunter went as far as to make sure that he negotiated a no-trade clause specifically for the Red Sox for that reason, right? right. Like this is some, like this is somebody who's walking in trying to do business and is like, no, we ain't even playing that game. And so, like you mentioned, whether or not white people knew, like so th- that had been kind of a trying to thing that had been spoken about a while. But even those within the media, like Albert Breer, had was famous has been kind of you know, what now infamous for talking about well i've been to a ton of red sox games i've never heard it okay okay right exactly. it's like, <laughs> okay bro like you're, you're you're completely discounting what i am telling like i'm i'm telling you right now what the shake is and you want to bury your head in the sand and now you want folks to show up with a shovel and it's like man come on like what yeah, uh, yeah all right i appreciate you now acknowledging it but before you was you was silent and so now it does kind of feel like it's more performative and and now it feels like you're doing this for likes and retweets, just to throw you know throw the Black Lives Matter thing <laughs> and, and keep it pushing. It is it, it's it's scary to me, not only just from a disrespect thing now, but like whenever things go back to whatever normal is going to look like, whenever they're not active protests in the streets, are you going to abandon this 
this this position? Are you going to be? Are you serious about inclusion? Are you serious about diversity? Are you serious about investing in some of these things so that if your your clubhouse looks different, so that your your executive leadership looks different? Because otherwise, you're just paying lip service, and now you 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 kind of insulted my intelligence. Exactly. You know what's crazy? So today. I, well, past couple of days, I've been really thinking about how my involvement in USA Swimming and my need to speak out, obviously, because we, it's just like NASCAR is predominantly white. And so I reached out, I sent a letter to the CEO of USA Swimming and was like, listen, we need to have a conversation. Basically, you know, laying out, I've been in this sport 20 years. I've given my blood, sweat and tears for this sport. The one moment you could have stood up for me and mine, you said nothing, right? And that's disturbing because we've given so much to this sport. And besides Olympians, we've given so much to this sport. So he agreed to have a meeting, gonna have it with you know all the board people, whatever, what have you. So I was doing research on like what USA Swimming actually does, and I was looking at all the initiatives, and I'm like, damn, like they actually do try and go. In, well, on paper, <laughs> they do go in communities, and they do try and start swim teams for you know the uh, underrepresented groups. They do have assistance to where you're different LSC, which is essentially like your region of swimming, has to give assistance if somebody wants to swim. They do have these things on paper, but damn it if I didn't have to go dig, dig, dig to find it. <laughs> like, I feel like you have things by, you know, your credence and your laws or, you know, whatever law of the land in your world, your respective sport, but are you actually implementing it? And are you checking if it's actually helping are you looking at progress and i think that's what i've been seeing with a lot of these colleges and pro teams like yes you're about to put different uh criteria and standards into place but are you doing it to check a box and say you have it on file kind of like the rooney rule or are you actually implementing it right are you interviewing me because you know you have to or do you genuinely see me as a viable candidate that has an opportunity to get that job because if not spare me Okay, that's where I'm at with it. <laughs> like, if you're not actually willing to see me as competition or see me as an equal, I do not want you to waste my time. You made reference to this, and I don't, I'm, I don't want to push it if this isn't something you wanted to get into. But you, it seemed like you were making reference to a specific instance where you felt that that you had been let down by oh, USA Women as an organization. Is that is in my? Did I misread that, or are you talking about right now? You felt like that you. They weren't doing enough right now. Oh, no, they're not doing enough. They're not doing enough right now. They could do so much more. Like with North no Carolina Swimming, my family literally hosts one of the biggest swim meets in the country for minority kids. We have over 1,100 kids, black, white, brown, other, Hispanic, come to the meet every year. And USA Swimming wouldn't allow us or wouldn't be involved because we called it National Black Heritage. We didn't call it Diversity Meet. And, you know, people change, politics change, people coming in and out of organizations. So I'm not faulting anybody, but it's almost like you've had resources to step up. And now that it's pretty much your feeder to the fire, now you want to be involved. Now we have white Olympians trying to be like, is there a you know, funded branch that we could help donate and give resources to? It shouldn't take you watching a man die to want to help people of color learn how to swim. If learning, if teaching people how to swim is on your heart, black, white, or other, you should try to do that for every other people. Don't, you know, make peace with your own little heart, Caucasian heart, and do you're not doing me a favor because we're doing it. We're going to do it regardless, with or without you. So I just, you know, I'm very done with a lot of things. <laughs> I'm done with the performance type stuff. But I mean, I've experienced, you know, people trying to 
hire me or put me involved um, in their respective organizations and interview me because I checked so many good boxes. I'm a black woman. I have two degrees from prestigious universities. I swam, like I check every little good thing on paper to be like, yeah, she's great, right? But you don't give me the job, but you check that box that you did a diversity interview because that you're required to do by law. But that, mm. wa- that wastes my That's time, right. right? That wastes my time. And you, if you're not strong enough, you start to doubt yourself. Right? You're like, damn, if I'm not qualified to do this measly job, then what am I qualified to do? So you start having to heal yourself every time you get rejected to the point with which I'm glad I'm in my you know, 30s and I can recognize BS when I see it. So we can play that game. We can play that I'm going to hire you because you're black game. Listen, I'm ready. <laughs> like we said when we were talking about black coaching hires. Oh, you can hire me. And guess what? When you're trying to check your box for now, what we did, I'm going to make sure I got five more people coming and going before I get out of here, right? Right. Just to assure and reassure. I got great point. We're talking about um, associating ourselves with certain organizations. Reggie Bush, jumping into college football. Uh-huh. The fact that they're trying to figure out how to now no longer disassociate themselves, I'm like, if Reggie wanted to say F y'all for life, I'm cool with that. Like, I'm absolutely cool if Reggie says, I don't ever want to be a part of Southern California ever again. I don't want to ever be, don't give me nothing. Don't remake a Heisman for me. Like, the way y'all have now tried to come back, lick your wounds, spare me, okay? Like, to me, if Colin Kaepernick never wants to play again, which he should be allowed to, don't get me wrong, but if he said F the NFL, I would not be mad at him. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to be mad at somebody when it's like, you've, Defend my character, defend what I stood on my platform for what? Only to bring your tail between your legs, get up on a little platform, say your little two-minute speech, and say you're trying to right your wrongs? Get out of here. I'm not. I'm just not for it. <laughs> like, miss me. Try it with somebody else. I'm not it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and it does make it ring hollow, particularly for the NFL. One, because this is precisely what, like, this is precisely what he was talking about right. four years ago. Like, that was... It was never a question. People that wanted to pretend like they were confused about what he what he was protesting about. I was like, no, you're. I mean, you. you there, there was no way you could be confused. This wasn't a guy that was all over the map with his message. Nope, same message. Right. Bye, bye, bye. And that's why I believe he stopped talking publicly about it because he knew, regardless of what I say, yeah, you are not going to listen to me if I tell you the sky is blue and you're like, nah, I'm thinking red. <laughs> <laughs> I, at some point, you have to just stop talking to that person. Yeah. And that was essentially what it was done. And I, I peeped, by the way, <laughs> a lot of the media carrying water for a lot of that, that stupidity. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of media, a lot of high-profile writers oh, yeah. with the, well, I don't know what he meant by this. And it was, a lot of them got plumbed up when it came down to actually saying what he was, what he, to actually translating what he was saying. Like it wasn't, it was not difficult at all. And so I, I, I remember that as well. But like, as pertain, like Roger Goodell came out with a statement that was kind of in response to the players that had come out with, I, I thought a, a really powerful statement yeah. about uh, Black Lives Matter and 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 very clear about uh, being previously silenced by by the establishment. Right. Um, Goodell comes out with 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 the video in response to that that kind of responds to, hey, we're we're going to allow you to be more vocal. It doesn't really talk about you previously silencing folks, but oh, okay. But ultimately, I don't need to hear from Goodell because Goodell don't own no NFL teams. Right. I need to hear from those 32 teams that decided that he didn't need to be a part of your organization. Listen, Jerry Jones, 
always got something to say. I ain't heard from always. Jerry, not near one time. You hear me? <laughs> I ain't heard from Mr. Jones, not once. And let me tell you something. Wilfred, willful ignorance doesn't cut it for me anymore. Like, Drew Brees, you are almost 40, 40, 40, something, 40 plus. Willful ignorance does not cut it for me anymore. You a grown-ass man, dog. <laughs> like, I'm not playing these games with y'all. No more. You can't say I'm learning, I'm listening. The hell did you, like, you've just been missing out? You, like, I like what Bomani said when he was talking about locker rooms and this idea that somehow this is a kumbaya setting when we've got to stop acting like sports is just this big melting pot of we all get along, sing a song, woosa. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's not a kumbaya experience. Clearly, from my baseball homie telling you he's experienced racial slurs, it's not. <laughs> like, in willful ignorance, you're just choosing not to know, not to want to understand. It's not going to cut it. Yeah, I think that I think folks' patience is just too thin with that. Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, even with the even with the Breeze statement, like, Breeze pretty much had said that, I mean, everyone was saying the same thing Breeze had said four years ago when Kaepernick started doing this. Right. Like, they, they, it was it was that will for ignorance of, well, you know, he's disrespecting this, and he's, as opposed to, hey, hey, let, can we talk about the thing that he's actually protesting? Yeah. He's not protesting the anthem, he's not protesting the military. He's talking specifically about... Uh, police brutality and how it disproportionately affects the African-American community. That's where the conversation should have started. It didn't even start somewhere completely different. It never made sense for it to start anywhere completely different, but it did, and it stayed there. It stayed in that silo for reasons, right? Like it, was, it, was, it was very clear that people otherwise critically thinking human beings could not seem to figure out and get out of their own way enough to have the conversation that the whole entire protest was about. And I don't think it was a coincidence. And I think they did it purposely. Like, just oh, to yeah. keep it an absolute buck about this whole thing. I'm interested to see if there will be any formative and substantive changes or if this is going to be like that um, that Richie Incognito when, when Rich got Incognito had that whole thing with bullying and, and they, uh, I think it was Jonathan Martin was, was, was on the other end of it. And they formed this coalition of people. It was like Tony mm-hmm. Dungy and like Curtis. Martin. It was just, a, it was just like a random assortment of people that had been in and around football yeah. and they never ended up doing anything. They just wanted to form a committee. And so like, that's one of the, like, that is a tried and true hallmark of a lot of bureaucracies. Let's form a committee <laughs> and talk about it. Yeah. Without anything changing, because if you form a committee and you talk about it, and you have a couple meetings and things die down and people's uh, interest diverges to somewhere else. You go right back to doing the thing that you wanted to do, which is not hire black folks. Well, it's like a church, right? You know, you always got the mother who don't agree on nothing. You always got the one <laughs> who wants that, you know, issue. We got to talk about it till we blue in the face. And you never sometimes you just need to let people get their emotions in check before we move on to what we're actually trying to accomplish. Now, I'm assuming the NFL, the NBA, who really hasn't talked too much about all that's going on. Like, of course, they made their general statements, blah, blah, blah. But I think they're also focusing on bigger fish in terms of trying to get the season to start. And get, leave it to LeBron James. He can speak for everybody. He, he got something to say about everything, which is cool. You know, sometimes I'm like, okay, you jump it out of the frame a little bit, but sometimes he brings it back in. But I'm assuming that all these major league sports are trying to make sure they check their we said something moment and until I see somebody saying we have a system in place to where we will hire a percentage of minority diversity you know candidates year in year out I call BS <laughs> until Colin Kaepernick gets an opportunity to get his job back 
I call BS. I don't want to hear it. I, I just don't. I don't believe. So I know we've always gone ham for Cam Newton. He was wrongfully done. And I posed the question, who gets their job first, Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick? And before, it used to be easy. Like, obviously, we've seen Cam. He's still fresh somewhat, as opposed to who we haven't seen for four years, Colin Kaepernick. But still two black quarterbacks who are not in the league, who've both been to Super Bowls. But you've got some guys in the league currently who can barely see their ass to their elbow, right? I just, I don't know. I don't don't understand. But if we were to guess Colin or Cam getting their job back first, who do you think goes? I'd say Cam Newton because, as you mentioned, we've seen him more recently. Mm -hmm. Um, And because he doesn't have the stigma associated that Colin Kaepernick does um, in terms of being this kind of radical, independent thinking sort of brother. Yeah, and I, I, I won't forget when when the report started to come out that these teams were asking rookies, or not even rookies, prospective rookies, guys that were entering into the draft about Colin Kaepernick and how they felt about it. That as soon as I started reading that, I was like, oh, he's never going to play in the NFL again because they were terrified of not only Kaepernick but Kaepernick spawning this sort of critically thinking brother about these specific things about 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 race specifically and especially as a quarterback because of that hierarchy uh, on football teams that don't really exist i don't think in any other sport and not or at least not in the same way that leadership position that the quarterbacks kind of are naturally thrust into i knew then that they weren't going to that they were going to hire cam newton like there are questions about him but there are football questions about him like hey how strong is his arm is his, is his foot uh is his foot heel those sorts of things. There isn't that one because you can still, you know, you can still start picking apart Colin Kaepernick, but we haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, he was injured when, you know, you can look at his, uh, his his final year in San Francisco. It wasn't as successful as other things. You can still kind of uh, explain away a lot of this stuff, but when once once you brought the social activism part, which is a a crucial part of. Colin Kaepernick's existence in the NFL, then it then then, it, then he became kind of untouchable. He's that third rail now. Colin, uh, like Cam, I don't think we'll ever see Kaepernick again. I don't know if we'll see Cam for the simple reason that I don't know. You know, we're we're so far into the season. I, I don't think we'll see him this year because we were so far into the season that he didn't really get an off season, a traditional off season. So if we were to see him this year, I think it'll be because a number one quarterback goes down as as guys inevitably will get hurt, and I think he'll get picked up. I think there's at least a sliver of an opportunity that that might happen this year. With Cap, I don't think we'll ever see him again. I think, again, we go back to performative, and people want to right wrongs. That's the only reason why I'm saying he's going to get an opportunity again. Because... I mean, mean, maybe. Yeah, man, you're you're more optimistic than I am. (laughs) But also, like, you you talk about a couple times um, through your tweets... With his settlement, I don't know what that settlement, you know, agrees to, but because he had the different uh, practicing opportunities and tryouts, we clearly see one of the stipulations isn't that he can't not play again. So I'm just curious to see, can he never say, yes, they did in fact collude to not get me to play? Like, what is it that really is the reason? Well, maybe we'll never know, but maybe they're trying to like, let me let you play and don't talk about this again. I don't know. 
I'm trying to be, you know, I'm more hopeful than you in the moment, but I'm trying. You are, you are, you definitely are. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of, I'm proud of your optimism. Somebody I, I, I know we've had other conversations where you were right, right beside me in, in pessimistic Listen, land. So I, I, I like to see you bounce back. There are certain things that I am like dead set on. I'm not, I'm not standing for it. And my one thing right now in this episode, check me again next week, is willful ignorance. Not for it, not having it not even going to play with it. Like, if you want to choose to be like, I didn't know some shit, that we are the age of information. Mm. You cannot play that. Google is a six-letter word. Your kids <laughs> use Google like it's nothing for them, right? If they can work an iPad, you can watch a Netflix TV show that is more informative about race relations. So, miss me. with the. I'm not, I'm not here for it. Also, someone I'm working on giving grace to make sure I get into this topic, Dabo Sweeney, who I know you have no hope for, don't care for, and don't like at all. <laughs> but this man here, he is trying to right some wrongs. Tis the season. He's trying to do his little part to let everyone know that, one, his team is not a race. His team and his coaching staff don't allow the N-word. He doesn't have a racist bone in his body. You know, he's here for... You know, unity and that Christian belief that we all have to love our brother. Amen, somebody. However, I don't know. I still, it's hard. Because I'm, again, willful ignorance. You've seen so many lives change from football and the impact that it's had from these guys who start out with not necessarily the greatest of means. How can you not hear their stories and testimonies and still have such an adamant, like, disillusioned take right you are a coach you are the guy that people look to i'm not calling you a racist i don't know you from a can of paint but if you want to be the next level of impact if you want to make that next step simply going to war for your kids like you tell them to go week in and week out go to war for you in this university you should have done that you can still do that right i know we're not probably gonna see anything else because it's a 14 minute long dissertation but that was the moment for you to really rally around those guys. And I think it was a missed opportunity. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that everyone is doing, I, I don't know what specifically had uh, happened. There was still a little bit of question about the coach saying the word. I don't think that the player that accused him, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, that accused uh, the coach of using the N-words uh, said that the coach directed it at him so much as he used it generally. That's just a general rule. Just white people, y'all should just, just just let that one go. Just don't. I don't. I don't care if you're holding somebody else. No, just 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 let it on. Just just let that word particularly go go right on by. Um, but it does irk me some because I, I I believe in the Lord. Um, but it does irk me some when people just kind of try to pour Christianity over. It. We we all got to get together. It that that does bother me because I feel like you're. You're, you're you're doing you're you're doing God a disservice. It's performative um, gospel. It really is. Like it it's feels performative gospel. Like, it, it, it feels gospel. like was it? Uh, I, I I forgot what the saying is. You're, uh, so so say that that you're not uh, earthly good or whatever it is. I'm sorry. I I, I, I it just yeah that 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 particular thing feel if, if that's one of those trigger things for me that I'm like hey man don't 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 do that like don't. Don't don't bring this. Oh, we're all gonna get together and like this is not what we're talking about right now. Right. Because we're not all together. So like let's 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 not just <laughs> don't 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 just pour that over this and, and think that that's gonna be that that's enough. I understand that that's how some people's guy works. Okay. 
just not mine. Yo, like, listen, not, at, at this point, I'm like, do. I have to go down on my knees. Like, we can't be worshiping the same Lord because I just don't think that my God, the same one I serve, would do me like this. <laughs> Like I know you cannot be trying to do me like this, so. And that's a, and that's a struggle, right? Like just finding religion and where, because we it's we seem to pick and choose a lot of times where we will allow religion into these public spaces. Yeah. Um. And so, like, if you want to bring if you want to bring God into this, that's fine. I, that's not that's never really my first thing because everybody's as we see everybody's relationship with 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 their God or their religion or their deity or their higher power or what have you. Is different, and so that's why I usually don't like it to be brought in as kind of this salve that can kind of like smooth over everything and everything's fine, and we can kind of keep it moving. Like it kind of it does, as you mentioned, kind of feel more performative. It does make me feel like now you're kind of using religion uh, or or using your spirituality in a in a very specific and um, almost muting way to the to the real problems and real situations that people are going to going through. It, it does make me feel like you're you're intentionally not wanting to listen and and instead kind of burying your head exactly. uh, in, in the Bible in, in in a way specifically not to listen to others. But again, I go back to this was your moment, right? This was our rallying cry for you to get behind your fellow man and you to really just own it, right? It was your time, Davo. You could have just, man, we were listen. We're willing to forgive. A lot of us see a cop. Yeah, I'm about to say a lot. A, a lot of people. Listen, a lot of a lot of cops. Listen, a lot of people doing the let your slide and think, oh, the cops love us now. Like some people are really willing to forgive for whatever reason. You see a cupid shuffle with a uh, <laughs> baton, and you're like, yeah, man, change is gonna come, boy. You know what? <laughs> I'm like, if y'all only knew, just Lasai. But needless to say, again, I just, it was a missed opportunity that I hope, you know, is no one, you're never going to make all, everybody happy. You're never going to do that. But I think moving forward as a leader, he has got to show some sort of, you know, pride or not even pride. That's not the word I'm looking for. He really has to just show some humility in saying, I got it wrong, but I, I am determined dead on to get it right from moving forward. I'm dead on determined to ensure that my guys know that I have their back. Like, and we're not, I'm not just talking like, oh, internal like discrepancies, you pass a couple drug tests. I'm talking in the heat of battle when it comes to us being on the front lines of a protest, you're not discouraging them from going. <laughs> and it's not because like, oh, well, your scholarship would get taken away or like, oh, we're scheduled to get in trouble. And like, no, you need to be saying, do what you got to do. Let me give you a protest package. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you, you need to be one of them kind of coaches. Like, you need bail money, son. Do you need help? Like, let me get you an attorney just in case things go left. Like, I want that kind of coach at this point from all NCAA coaches. Like, until you're doing that to me with these men and women out here, I just, it, just, it doesn't mean much for me personally. I, I, if, if you're looking for uh, a contrast with, you know, somebody that has sort of what I feel like are, are just kind of kind of general words of, of of peace and unity and not addressing the thing. In contrast, you look at what uh, Texas Longhorns head coach Tom Herman yes. was talking about when, yes. when he talked about racial disparities. Yes. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll just read a small part of it, but well, we're going to cheer when they score touchdowns and we're going to hug our buddy when they get sacks or an interception. Are we going to let them date our daughter? Are we going to hire them in a position of power in our company? 
that's the question I have for America. You can't have it both ways. Close quote. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like you yeah. want to talk about something? Let's go ahead and talk about it. Don't 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 placate me with 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 quotes. Yeah. From, from, no, we uh, what we're talking about is real, and let's have some real conversations behind it. Otherwise, to me, it is just lip service, and I don't need it. Yeah, that's a hundred. I mean, a hundred percent agree. In colleges you know, start from top down, we're talking about hiring, but also these kids wanting to go to these respective schools, which has brought us to this conversation about HBCUs yet again, and whether or not kids are going to actually take that leap. We saw Mikey Williams, who is a top prospect, high school prospect, come out with statements saying, you know, if, if anything, he wants his money to go to his people. He wants to be able to attend HBCU, and if anyone's gonna profit off me, I wanted to be mine. Carmelo Anthony was like, kudos to this guy. He could really change the game. And you were all talks about whether or not it's going to happen. This capping. We had our homie Jonas have a live where we both went on there, giving our two cents. And to me, I think what I've, after hearing conversations all week from just different people, I'm really at the point now where I'm just like, I'm team black education. I don't care how you get it. I don't care what you do with it. Like, I want you to pour into these men and women regardless of what sport they play, right? Because then we get into the idea of all they are is their athletic ability. Like, to me, if he wants to go to HBCU, fine. Are you going to ensure that this man is educated beyond the 10 months that he's going to be there? Like, can we help him if he wants to come back? Can we help him if he wants to stay, you know, if he's over in the league or overseas or what have you in the G League? Can we help this man still get educated, learn about his people, learn about himself to where he can still be a successful young man beyond his athletic talent? That's all I'm here for. Like, all the other conversations, I could care less. Like, until we're really pouring in that education is our greatest weapon, we can't sit here and yell at white people for not being educated if we're not also trying to equip ourselves, right? I think that a large portion of the time when it comes, because pretty much every HCU student that is a fan of sports, we've had this conversation a thousand times. Yeah, <laughs> we, have, yeah. we have it a thousand times in terms of um, getting these these big name, top tier high school athlete recruits, yeah. getting them to come back to HCUs. Because ultimately, keep in mind, for a long time, black people couldn't go to right. primarily white institutions. And so you saw, you know, you, you see uh, Earl the Pearl Monroe that was was the same state, or uh, even Steve McNair, even though he could have probably gone to another institution, couldn't play quarterback there right. uh, at, at Alcorn State. And so I think for a lot, a, lot, a lot of times we'll have the conversation based on, well, what can we, our sports programs do? Our sports programs, for a myriad of reasons, aren't going to be able to go dollar for dollar, facility for facility in terms of what we're doing. At least not as, not as it is now, but absolutely. I think the larger the, the where we can compete is everything else. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about culturally what it's like to walk on to, to some of these HBCUs and how it's just different. It is mm-hmm. flat out different. Now, I'm not going to say that HBCUs are for every black student, regardless of athlete or not. It's not for every black student. Right. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think that it is. But in terms of, for me, man, that was, going to HCU was one of the best decisions in my life. Not because I couldn't go to a PWI or anything like that, but because it just felt different. You learned different. You you socialized different. You fellowship different. You connect 
differently. Like all that, all, all those sorts of things. And so that to me, that part of college, that part of going to school and leaving home, that experience to me is the one that I would put up side by side. Like, yeah, okay, sure. if you are some of these top tier high school athletes, and, and, you know, you're only going to be on campus. And really, we're just talking about basketball players. This really isn't the same way for football players. But if you're only going to be on campus for 10 months and then you're going to the league because of their current one-and-done rule, man, you could you could really do yourself. You you might be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't go to an HBCU and didn't feel that love in that in that sort of way. We, we talked about, uh, oh man, I'm going to mess up his name, Diami Brown mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for UNC who, who tweeted out, uh, a, a picture of him in the stands, primarily white crowd after he scores, and him openly questioning, would they love me? A little bit back to this Tom Herbert quote, would they love me if I weren't scoring touchdowns? Would they love me if I was just me and, yeah. and not this um, this asset for the university? Right. Um, and that I can I can't imagine how difficult that would feel in the moment like when you're really wondering like man like it, it would it would it would be like a real kind of slick and slimy sort of feel like man am i am i kind of getting used in, in a in a larger way like right now i can understand like making the decision to 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 go to these pwis because especially for football that that's a that's a tough sell because you you have to be there three years. Yeah. And so if you don't feel like you're making getting the competition or don't feel like scouts will take you seriously, even though we've seen talented guys to recall it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh offensive uh Miak player of the year two or three times while he was with A and T and still be, was a third round pick. Yeah. Right? Like so I can understand that just being a simple dollars and cents decision. Nah, I'm not here for. But you mentioned Carmelo Anthony, which I which I think might be even more interesting interesting than Mikey Williams. Mikey Williams, by the way, I think his mother and father, but definitely his mother went to Hampton. Yes. But with Carmelo, that's the parent. And he I think his I think his one of his children, I think his son is a pretty good basketball player. I don't know where he's ranked and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But like I think he's a pretty good basketball player. Well it's different. It's one thing for the student to say it. But if the parent is is already thinking this sort of way. Yeah. Okay, Melo. Well, I mean, ultimately, it's not your decision, but right. you have a you 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 have a lot of sway when it comes to this. And because you are Carmelo Anthony, you know everybody that that your child, if they if they're a basketball player, you know everybody that they'll need to meet. You know the type of game that they need to have to make it. Like you, you are in a very unique position, and that to me is the biggest thing because that's a lot of pressure to put on a kid. Like that, if you're asking them, hey, we want you at 17, 18 years old, we want you to start changing the dynamic of this whole thing. That's a lot of pressure to walk into when you're still trying to, one, just go to school and be a, a regular student. And then two, whether or not this is going to affect your pockets, that's a lot. But having a parent say that, that's that's far more interesting to me. Yeah. But, you know, OK, so to me, where I find a little frustration is in the fact that Let's stop, you know, glorifying these four-star, five-star recruits. And how about we pour into the current student-athletes that are already there? You know, like, it's okay to get behind these guys. Like, can you imagine a Carmelo, a D-Wade, you know, that they're – I mean, Carmelo is low-key on the way to retirement. He's not yet retired. But let's say D-Wade. Can you imagine a D-Wade coming to those programs and really pouring into those guys? 
that would entice people to want to come to those universities. Like, can we have, I mean, you've made all the money you need to make, right? So it's like, it's not a money thing. It's a pouring into these young men and women thing. So can you imagine if we decided to pour into these current athletes who may not have the right coaching structure to why they can't, you know, show their best or prove their best? Because at the end of the day, we all know talent finds, you know, talent. You're always going to be found to me in a lot of regards if you are supposed to be next level. Tariq Cohen, that was his destiny, regardless of where he went. But I think that we do a disservice by, you know, putting so much honus on the future, the high school kids, and not, it's almost like, well, what about us, right? You do get that feeling of like, are we not good enough for y'all to even care about now? Like maybe in the off season, you could train with us. You could show us some different moves. Like you clearly made to a next level. Can you invite us to some of your camps? Can you throw camps strictly for HBCU, you know, athletes? Those are the kind of things I think that are possible and actually tangible that you could fund. You can literally have opportunities to help these guys get better, even if for not wanting them to be elite level athletes, just showing that someone at that of that caliber cares about them, right? So if we're going to talk about pouring in, that to me is a great idea and resource to do. If anyone's looking for a strategist, call me. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug here, but I'm just saying, if we're where can they find you? Where can they, where can, where you know, at Candace D. Cooper on Twitter. I have this whole new website now, CandaceCooper.net, where you can find everything I'm doing. But I'm just saying, like, man, I'm gonna keep that. I should, I should, we should, you know, redo this one. I don't need to say that. I need to keep that to the best. <laughs> but I might, yeah. But you know, just for real though, it just seems that if we have an opportunity to currently pour into what is instead of thinking about what's next, we so get away when we're always trying to think about what's next and not what is. So I think right now that should be a goal of ours. It's not project because that's what our counterparts love to do to us. Oh, Bronnie James is going to be the next yada, yada, yada. Okay, well, Bronnie's just a kid. (laughs) He's just trying to pass math class at the moment. We don't know what that man's going to be. <laughs> I think, you know, we th- we talk about the last dance of Michael Jordan's kids. They turned out to be nothing when they came to hoops. So imagine the pressure, like, that they project on us. And if they have people to pour in, not to say that Michael Jordan was the world's greatest at anyway, but I'm just saying, if they have people to pour in, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we just loved on each other better? Like, I just think we're we're missing that key element of, like, yes, you talked about how HBCU is a different experience. I wholeheartedly agree. It's a different kind of love. Black love is a different kind of love. So if we really took the time to try and do that, we just, I mean, we would truly, to me, be unstoppable. But we just had to get in that mentality. So. I, I think that's really well said. And I hadn't heard anybody else say about, you know, some things that adults can do now for the, for the, for the kids on these campuses. I think yeah. that is an excellent point. Yeah. I just, I wish there was more you know, given to the current student athletes who are su- currently suffering, right? We don't know what they're experiencing. And they still have that shield of NCAA where they feel that they can't exactly run out and say, you know, how they feel about certain issues and fear of losing their scholarships. I think that's what a lot of um, current, uh, what am I going to say, Power 5 school type athletes. But in this space, this is why I feel like this movement is different because I'm seeing a lot more guys stand up. Like you saw at FSU, when them Negroes went on strike for 24 hours, but still, they were like, listen, our coach set up and lied and said he was reaching out to us, and he did not do that, so we're not playing. Can you imagine if all of those guys were like, F it, <laughs> I'm not playing until y'all acknowledge what we've got going on here. If every university, if every Power 5 school who have predominantly white, black, excuse me, predominantly black teams decided to say enough, 
God, we would be lethal. <laughs> like, I just wish we had that mentality. Like, that's why I get mad at the NFL and their whole player association. Because I'm just like, bruh, y'all had the power for real, but y'all just be acting like y'all don't. And it's so frustrating. Like, let me get a million. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> like, let me hold a dollar because I would, I would really be right, uh, revolutionary. But you know who was before their time? Marcus Garvey. Oh wow! Yeah, no, that's yeah. <laughs> that is uh, yeah. He was he was completely on something completely different, and it's interesting that even the way that we, you know, we the, even the way that we teach about integration is that black people needed to like kind of when they were allowed to be with white people, it almost was like graduating to be with them, and so obviously integration has been opened a ton of doors for. Uh, uh, millions of people, but it also did have some collateral damage of, um, uh, amongst other things. I'll keep it a sports, about like HCU sports. Yeah. I mentioned some of the, the the former players that were there and went on to go play in the NFL, went on to go play in the NBA. Like it did, it did completely change that dynamic as well. And I, and I wonder if if it's taught properly, like there was nothing wrong with the HCU experience. It changed because the money was different, and so yeah. it allowed. Uh, players to, to make these to make these decisions to go to these PWIs, but that isn't inherently suggesting that the HBCUs were inferior in terms of the level of education that they were receiving or the, the type of talent surrounding them with the coach like Big House Gaines and uh, in, in Winston-Salem. 100%. And I think we have just got to do our part in terms of having this, you know, quote-unquote soapbox and tearing, sharing the narrative of what it really is and having the Oracle stories and telling and making sure that the history isn't lost, you know? I think smart steps are HBCU game day and just giving people resources. I think also if you wanna have these forums where you're just telling people of the black college experience so they can know that that option is even there because some kids don't even, it doesn't even come into their frame of mind because they think that certain schools are the go-to, the goal, the achievement, somehow you have made it. When in reality, there's a lot of HBCU grads are very successful. There are a lot of, you know, well-to-do black people who never went to college. Like, you know, they're different. We all have different stories, but we have to make sure that those stories get told the right way. And that's on us as media, I think. You know, we sometimes get too carried away with trying to tell a certain story when we need to tell the story. Agree, but yeah, man, what a vibe. Also, I'm just gonna say before we get out of here, damn, if you're not ripping out these that's that's black male podcast episodes, like bruh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah uh, I actually just finished recording another one. <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, like I'm respect. I'm really on it right now. Respect. Like, just, you know what I mean? Uh, up in the house, and I, I realized that I I had had this idea quite a, quite a while ago to have this this positive place for, for, for black men. Um, and, and we cover all of black culture and, and, and how we, how we are, uh, portrayed and all this other stuff. So it's not just about black men, but with the black men as, as at the forefront. And I looked up and I realized I had this network of, uh, a, a myriad of really knowledgeable and, and, and positive examples of us, which are, as, yeah. you, as you mentioned, it's not always told. It's not frequently told. 
uh, in media. And I wanted to bring whatever knowledge I've, I've, I've gleaned over these eight years I've been in, in sports media. I wanted to bring at least what I what I understand of coverage and stuff like that to put the spotlight on some some really really dope dudes that I, that I've had a chance to either work with or or just my friends like people that I just kind of just hung out with for the last usually about a decade or so so yeah. it's 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 been fun and I've really really enjoyed it like if nothing else I, I hope that it's 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 showing it's maybe showing a little bit of a of a different slant than than what people normally get a hundred percent well I'm proud of you and I think that again telling your story and telling it how you want to tell it is so key and critical but for Candace Cooper and Britain what did we leave you with this we're gonna raise our glasses of good vibes pour one out for the black mm, man wow yep it's been one of them days we're gonna raise our glass to the good vibes we're gonna pour one out for the bad vibes but above all else we are certainly blessed y'all be safe we out <laughs> Thank you.